Let's bow for, for a moment of prayer so we can all get centered, okay? Lord, I pray right now that the meditation of my words and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. Help us to focus on what you would have us learn. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I was little, before I even could read, my grandmother was visiting and helped my mother get me ready for a school program. I had to be, I had to be taught memorization for this. And my grandmother pronounced to my parents, you better hang on to your hats because I think you have an actor on your hands. And sure enough, I started acting before I ever went to school in church programs and then in school programs, I was often pulled out of uh, my grade school to work in the high school. And then I grew up in the Kansas City area and so was often on local television when they needed children. And this proceeded all through high school. And I got a scholarship to study theater in college. And then I got to college and suddenly when I was auditioning for things, I wasn't getting any parts. And I thought, I'm gonna lose my scholarship and this is what I wanna do. And I can remember, and this is a long time, I, I was in college about a thousand years ago. And so I was standing in line in the payphone in the dormitory to call my mother, crying my eyes out because nothing was happening. I wasn't getting any parts and what was I gonna do if I had to give up being in theater? And my mother said, she gave me a line that I began to use and advise people over the years. Darling, go expecting nothing, but hoping for everything. Now, as I say, I use this a lot in beginning to, to encourage people not to quit, okay? Because sometimes things just don't turn out the way we expect. But as I begin to think about how we use the word hope, in our English connotation, it often has this, this connotation of being uncertain or vague or you know, something we wish for, but we can't expect. And I began to realize that that's not what our Christian view of hope should be about. That our hope is very different and we need to grab hold of that hope and recognize what it can mean to us and how it can make a difference in our lives. In the last few weeks, I've been listening, I, I listen a lot. One of my favorite devotional podcasts is Gospel in Life podcast. It's done by Reverend Timothy Keller, who was for many years from, I think, about 1989 to 2017, the pastor of Redeemer Church, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, one of the biggest churches. And his podcast now, they've taken those sermons and moved them into a podcast. And I find them very, very helpful for me in my own Christian growth. And they pulled a series that he did uh, on hope, and they rebroadcast that in the podcast before Easter time. And I have now listened to that several times because he starts out with this idea that hope, our hope as Christians is very different than using the word, oh, I hope this works out, or I hope I get this, or I hope I get that. That it's something very different, and that's what I want us to spend a little bit of time delving into this evening. And what I want to do in, in order to do that is spend some time looking at the passage in Ephesians 1, 13 through 23. You actually have two different versions of it, which is great. I didn't realize John was going to be on top of this and put, put a version in your bulletin, so I, I sent the version of, of the New Revised Standard. And it's great because 
Uh, we're going to toggle back and forth a little bit between the New Revised Standard and the NIV version that you have in your bulletin. But I want to spend a little time just leading us through some meditation on this. You know, meditation on Scripture is simply letting yourself focus on some phrases and bringing your imagination and your experience and your knowledge of other scriptures to bear on that. So I want us to do that with this passage of scripture tonight. And I want us to look, I'm gonna to try to make three key points for you, reiterate those, and then give you a fourth sort of call to action to this. So I want us to look about the importance of our, of our Christian hope, the inheritance that we hope for as children of God and the power available to us as children of God. And then I'm gonna wind up with what my students used to roll their eyes at, the so what question. They used to get really tired at the end of every class discussion, I would go, okay, so what? Or at the first draft of their papers, at the end I would write, so what? So what difference does it make? What difference does having a Christian view of hope make? And what are we called to do with this hope in our daily lives? So let's start first by looking at the importance of hope, and let's look at this passage of Scripture in Ephesians. Now, Ephesians is a letter that's seen more as a circular letter. It, it doesn't seem to be a letter that was written by Paul to address a particular problem at a particular time, but rather it was a, a letter that was written as a circular letter which was meant to circulate among the churches and be a more general kind of teaching. And so in Ephesians 1, 3, it, it 1 and 13 through 23, we see Paul beginning verse 13 here, how he often begins his scriptures to the churches, his letters to the churches, say, thanking for them and telling them what he's praying for for them. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. Now, what, one thing that's important here, Paul is writing to the Gentiles. And so he's saying here, look, it's no longer just the Jews that have access to this, but when you believe, it's yours as well, and you are, you're marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance. This seal of the Holy Spirit is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. Paul is writing here in Ephesians that when you believe, you are marked with this seal. You are identified as God's people. You are identified as one of God's children. And then this wonderful pledge of our inheritance. Now, this is the verse. I'd like it if you, if you can look in your bulletin because I want to share with you the NID, uh, NIV version, the New International Version of this particular verse, 14. Having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, and I like this translation, the NIV, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Not only does this Holy Spirit mark us, identify us as being one of God's own, but this mark of the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Now that, you know, in the news recently, if you've been paying any attention, we've learned a lot about guaranteeing deposits as we heard about the Silicon Valley Bank going down the tubes and questions about other banks. Because what begins to happen And that after the Great Depression in the 30s, we had a, a new guarantee for these deposits, okay? So I think it's now up to about $250,000. Our deposits in banks are covered, right? They're guaranteed. But if we get beyond that, we can get in trouble. And what begins to happen is, 
Very few banks hold the cash they need to pay out all the deposits that have been put there. They're investing them, they've done house loans, they're doing other things with this money. And what happens is if we turn in, we decide that we want to cash in that money, okay, then the banks can get in trouble. Not so with this Christian guarantee. There's, there, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this inheritance. It's not going to run out, okay? But the other thing about a bank deposit is this. You can't use that money for anything unless you do draw it out and do something with it. And that's the flip side of thinking about this Holy Spirit. We have access to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in us. This Holy Spirit is a mark. It's a, it's a guarantee. But if we don't access that guarantee, we're missing out on what it can do for us. We're missing out on a very important resource that can make a difference in our lives and make a difference in the way we live. So, we're going to look at, as we read more in this passage, what, how about thinking about how we access that Holy Spirit and what difference accessing that Holy Spirit can make for us and how that Holy Spirit, the access to that Holy Spirit in us, is an important part of the hope that we have. So the second point in this is not just this, this is our basis for our hope and the importance of our hope, but then there is the question is, how do we access this hope? So let's look at Ephesians 1.15 there. And this is where Paul starts a prayer for his church. Now, one of the reasons I, I actually wanted to give you the NRSV version there is if you'll look at verses 15 through 17, if you just do a quick comparison of the NIV version that's in your bulletin versus the little handout that you got, you will see that the NIV version breaks this up into sentences. Now, I, I'm not a Greek scholar, but many commentators will talk about the fact that starting in verse 15, this is actually just one long sentence all the way to verse 19. So it's important to kind of unpack this as one, as one thought. So let's look at verse 15, and, and I'm going to look at the, I, what I'm going to be reading from for you right now is in the little handout, the, the NRSV version. Okay. <laughs> yes, right, right. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, and here's what he's praying for, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may perceive what is the hope to which he has called you. And you can insert here, you may perceive what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and that you may perceive what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power. So let's unpack this long sentence, this long prayer just a little bit. So first of all, the Holy Spirit appears here as a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him. Now there's something important here because it, the wisdom and revelation, yes, it comes from the Spirit, but it says as you come to know him, there is the implication there that I have to do something to get to know more about Christ. And the, the weaving of this tends to say to me, the more I learn about Christ, the more wisdom and revelation I'm going to have. The more the Holy Spirit has something to work with. Okay? You know, I think sometimes, and it's true, 
It is true in so many ways when we think about God's grace and all we have to do is respond, but we must respond. And there is so much about our living and our faith that it is a two-way street. And yes, we access the Holy Spirit. And yes, the Holy Spirit can fill us. And yes, the Holy Spirit can do miraculous things. But it is always, what are we doing to help Paul's prayer come to fruition? What are we doing to give the Holy Spirit something to work with? Okay, and that's what the implication of this is. What are we doing to get to know Christ? How much time are we spending studying the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to understand what Christ's ministry was like? When people flip it, I know we don't hear this so much anymore except as a joke, but years ago it was this kind of, what would Jesus do? Well, you know, unless you spend time studying the Word, you don't really know. You have no idea what Jesus would do. Okay, so it's time, that it's important for us because the more we come to know Christ, the more we can understand the wisdom and revelation that can, can be ours. And then the heart, we come to verse 18 there. He's praying that, that we'll have this wisdom and revelation as we come to know Christ, so that with the eyes of our, your heart enlightened, you may perceive what is the hope to which he has called you. You see how important this hope is. Paul is praying for the Spirit to give us wisdom and revelation because it's a hope that we are called to. There's a reason we're called to this deep hope, this hope that's certain and a level of assurance. It's not a wish list. It's not something that's maybe. It is a deep hope that we need to access and stand on for important purposes, as we'll see here. So um, I want to take us for a few minutes to other, other, base, other references on the basis for this hope, okay? Because there are other verses in the scripture that remind us how important this, this hope is. And there are other letters from Paul to the churches. So if we go to the church, it, we go to the letter of, of uh, Colossians. In Colossians 1.3, and again, he starts, it, he starts as many of his letters this way, but he starts Colossians 3 this way, or Colossians 1 this way. In our prayers for you, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope before in the word of the truth, the gospel that has come to you. You see, this hope is an important thread. First Thessalonians. The same way he begins 1 Thessalonians, we always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers, constantly remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul in these early churches, he said, this hope, this steadfastness of hope, this assurance that you have in this hope, this is what is helping you make a difference in the world. This is what is helping you be steadfast in persecution. This is what is helping you carry the gospel to others because you got it. You understand where your hope is anchored and you understand that it is a hope that is steadfast and you, claim, you, you, stay, you stay firm in it, that it keeps you grounded in your faith. So that's the importance of hope. 
And the second thing is we get into to this idea is of what do we hope for, which leads us right into this next question. What do we hope for? The inheritance. The inheritance that we have as children of God. This is where our hope is. So in verse 18, again, you may perceive what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? Now, a brief word about the word saints. If you're a believer, you're a saint. You don't have to go through the Catholic process to be a saint, okay? <laughs> okay? We, when, you, that's when, the, when you see the word saint used in Scripture, it's referring to the believers, okay? So this, this is speaking to us. We are all saints, okay? Um, and so, so, it is, so he said, this is our inheritance, Part of, part of your hope is based on understanding the riches of your inheritance. So what is it about? Well, 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4 speaks directly to this inheritance. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade kept in heaven for you. That's our inheritance. This new birth in a living hope, an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade and, and that is kept into heaven. My husband died about a year and a half ago and we, I had no children, I have no brothers and sisters, and in our wills, of course, we had already decided how we were going to leave things to charity or to different relatives, and, but most of it was all to each other. And the attorney said, you gotta, do, you gotta do something about this quick since you have no children or sibling. You gotta take care of this. Now, it's not much of an inheritance, but it's what my husband and I worked our whole lives <laughs> to get, you know? And so, and it's, it's, we had been very, we tried to be very judicious in how we had divided that estate up. That's nothing, you know? So I, I spent a lot of time and money getting this little bit of an inheritance I might have to leave to somebody else if something happens to me, and making sure it's protected enough because I know as I'm aging, there's gonna be a lot of stuff coming, okay? <laughs> All right? But that's nothing. That's nothing compared to this inheritance. My inheritance is, is gonna be dissipated either through my own care as I age or it's gonna be dissipated in the charities that I leave or in a couple of generations of relatives that I have. It's, it's not gonna be there. But oh my, this other inheritance that we have as Christians, it's not gonna spoil or fade or ever go away, okay? That's the promise God has given to us. And this, this idea of our inheritance in heaven, now you know, it gets hard to imagine what heaven is like, and I don't think we spend a lot of time imagining heaven. Uh, when my husband died, those of us who've been through grief, imagining heaven gets us through the first days, <laughs> the first months of that grief, because I can, imagine, I can imagine what heaven is like with him there and what it may be like when I am able to go there someday, okay? And be once again united, okay? But I don't really have any idea what that's going to be like. And I, I do remember a, a great preacher that I liked. He had this saying, when I was a little girl, he had this saying that I thought was very good. You know, some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. So we can kind of spend too much time getting focused on that and not spend the time thinking about what we can do with our, our precious time here. 
But often we don't, we don't spend enough time really thinking about heaven. Years ago, I was in a performance group that did a lot of performance work in churches and Christian schools, and we put these programs together. And we had one on the second coming. And we, and we, had, we were made up of a group of, of, of uh, uh, acting students, performance students, music, music theater, and we had uh, several theology students. So we put together these programs and we tried to make them as solid as they could be. But we got into Revelations and into the end chapters of Revelations. We had this great program about heaven and we had sound design and we had, we had colors going in our costumes. And people would say, this is really exciting. I never thought about heaven. You made us think about heaven. Well, sometimes we need to spend time thinking about this inheritance of heaven, because that, that is our inheritance. So the importance of hope, the inheritance of our riches, and then this idea about power. And this is what he says again in verse 18, and, or excuse me, in verse 19. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power? And then 20 through 23 really is talking about the demonstration of God's power through raising Christ from the dead, setting him on the throne, being the head of the church. And I wanted to look just at the end of verse 23 there, or 22 and 23. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And I want to kind of tie this idea of power in this last point of the so what question together, okay, for us as we, as we wind up here. Because what I think is so important, you know, we are still in the Easter season, by the way. Easter season starts on Easter Sunday, and it goes for 60 days until Pentecost Sunday, which I think is May 28th this year, okay? So we're still Easter people right now. <laughs> we forget that. I still have, by the way, I still have my Easter flag and my bunnies and my eggs out because I celebrate Easter till Pentecost, okay? So, <laughs> so we need to, this is still our season of thinking about this resurrection and of Christ's dominion over all of us. But there's an important implication here for us, okay? Because in verse 23, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is us, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And the implication of that last phrase is that we are part of helping him fill everything in every way. And this brings it back to the so what question. So what are you going to do with this this wonderful hope? What are you going to do with having this hope based on understanding what your inheritance is and the power that you have because you are a child of God and because your, your hope is founded in the eternal God? What are you going to do with that power to help accomplish Christ's work on earth? Every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We are saying we have a responsibility to make God's kingdom come on earth. We have a responsibility to live out his will and to help people understand what his kingdom and his will is all about. And if you have any questions about that, I want us to, I want us to end with 1 Peter 3.15, okay? Where he says, In your heart sanctify Christ as Lord, Always, 
always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Always be ready to make a defense for an accounting of the hope that is in you. Two things about that. We need to live so people see our hope. That's what Paul was writing about to those early churches. I thank God that people understand who you are and get the story because you live in that hope. And that's a challenge for us. Are we living in that hope so that people can see a difference? And then are we ready to make our defense? It doesn't have to be boisterous and obnoxious and bold. And, and you know, I don't particularly have the gift of evangelism. I, I grew up in a church where we went knocking on doors and passing out tracts. I can't do that. That's not who I am. And that, there are people who can and who bring people to Christ. And I'm like, go for it. But, you know, I, have to, I need to live my life in a way that people understand there's a hope there that's not just wishful thinking, that's not uncertain or vague or ambiguous, but I, I know where my hope is. I know where my eternal home is, and I can be comfortable sharing that hope with them. My hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me. For me, he died for me, he lives an everlasting life and light. Everlasting life and light right now and in the future, to me he gives. 